0: Welcome to the Jack Cornfield Heart Wisdom Hour. We are delighted to share with you Jack's innate common sense wisdom and his clear open heart. If you are interested in supporting Jack's podcast, go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Jack. Teaching of wise effort or wise energy which is part of the factors of enlightenment, and it's part of the Eightfold Path in the Buddhist teaching. And more importantly, it's just a fundamental question for us as human beings, especially undertaking spiritual practice. What is the right effort? What does effort even mean? Why is effort... Often we might equate with struggling, trying to get somewhere, ambition, heroic effort, and there's certainly teachings about that you can find in every spiritual tradition. But wise effort is really a different kind than the way we normally associate the word making an effort. It's simply the effort to be present. To bring our attention, our loving awareness to this very life that we've been given. Not to be lost in our thoughts or plans or judging or trying to get somewhere else, even spiritually trying to get somewhere in our meditation. But actually to be present here and now in the reality of this moment. Away with the way things are. And this wise effort, if you will, the effort to be present, could also be called an act of love. For it invites us to show up for this life with an open, open arms, open awareness, and an open heart. To see what's true in our own bodies and minds and in the world around us. And by becoming present with love, we discover it is the gateway to freedom or liberation, freedom and liberation. Wise effort is to show up in all the healing and all the embodiment and all the care and all the value of having an incarnation is fulfilled when we pay attention to our body. The places that need to be healed show themselves. And the deepest healing takes place when you tend your body with love. When you listen to it, say, what does it need? When you thank it, as we did in the meditation, thank you for carrying so much. When you pay attention with loving awareness, with this wise effort, you're able to regulate your body. You're able to respond and listen. What does it need at this day, this season, this cycle of my life? And when I do a guided meditation for healing temple for people who are trying to heal themselves and a great healer will come and teach them how to put their hands on their body in the places that most need the healing, that healing presence is one of love, of loving awareness, loving attention. And more than anything else, it's what changes the body. A story for you. I'll read you a few stories today. Jerry Flaxted, a physician, describes his initial revulsion to a patient named Frank. An angry, obese, homeless man who had diabetes, was unbathed, had gangrene legs and open sores. When he didn't take his meds for his mental disorder, Frank would flail his arms, spew curses and epithets at all those around him. He was admitted repeatedly to the hospital. For Dr. Flaxstead, dead, Frank was a patient who was hard to love. One day Frank was brought to Richmond Hospital with congestive heart failure. The diagnosis was serious and Dr. Flaxstead tended him as best as he could. And then 20 members of the down-home neighborhood church in whose shelter Frank sometimes slept arrived. They brought flowers, homemade food. They chanted, they sang hymns to Frank creating a course of care and communion. When Dr. Flaxted returned to Frank's room after tending another patient on the ward, he saw that Frank was smiling, surrounded, bathed in their love, and the doctor realized that he had never really seen Frank at all. So this is what it means to bring loving awareness to your own body. To see it, its mystery with its magnificence and its wrinkles, you know, or whatever it happens to be that manifests. It has fur in some places and it loses its fur otherwhere, and then the fur comes somewhere else. To see the body that you have and treasure it, this is wise effort. And then you'll know how to respond. And it's the same with the heart. You know, wow, in this time, the heart carries so many different feelings and emotions. And what I know so well is that our education doesn't teach us much about the heart and how to tend it. I was on the cover of the Dartmouth Alumni Magazine some years ago with a few other people. It was an issue on weird alumni. Um... I guess I fit the profile. Um, And they had interviewed me. They actually cut out some of the less um, positive things I had to say about my education there because the alumni magazine is mostly used for fundraising, actually. But in any case, what I tried to say is that I only got half an education. I had a good Ivy League education in philosophy and organic chemistry and, and, the you know, great European literature and Asian literature and all these kind of intellectual pursuits and mathematics. Nobody taught me what to do with the pain from my family of origin, from a violent and paranoid father who was a wife batterer and, you know, a, a, a violent person toward his children. Nobody taught me about that. Nobody taught me how to have a loving relationship. Nobody taught me what to do about my fear, you know, or confusion when those states would come, or how to regulate the heart, not to speak of what it meant to live with compassion. No one taught me about forgiveness. So I went to seek the second half of my education. Well, maybe I'm still in that second half, and went to train as a Buddhist monk, as you all know. And that was what we were taught, what we just did in our meditation, how to bring the attention to the body and the heart and mind. It's not a small thing. It's actually the central gift of being a human being and something that you can see the world needs so much. So here, when you attend to your own heart and mind, Yes, it's getting taught a little bit. Now there's a whole spread of social and emotional learning in schools. Hallelujah. Finally, it's getting taught a bit. But it's still kind of on the side. Shall we pay for this 5%? It's not the center of our education. But here we are. How do we deal with all these emotions? And right now, there's so many of them. Well, one thing is they don't last very long. When you pay attention carefully, you might say, I was angry at her for, you know, all, you know, last week, or I was sad in January or March, or I was, and you think they last a long time, you know, or I was so excited or in love or whatever, but pay attention. And there you are, somebody did something that hurt you and you're angry. But if you really pay attention and you begin to name it gently, to recognize it and acknowledge it and allow it to be there, angry, angry, and so forth, it only lasts about 15 seconds. Angry, angry. and After 15 seconds, the thought comes, I hate him. He really mistreated me. And anger has turned into hatred. And you're there for a little while hating him. And then you say, yourself god i feel so sad about this we got so stuck and all of a sudden there's sadness and then the sadness turns into self-pity why did i let myself get into this where i could be hurt in this way and yeah but it's all that person's fault and now the anger comes back and then the thought of revenge comes and you notice that and then you think yeah but i'm a good buddhist we're not supposed to be vengeful so you notice that, and you laugh a little, and some humor comes, and you think, what should I have for dinner? Because the mind has no pride at all. And then you say, no, I'm angry, and the anger comes back. You know how it is. We're just talking about paying attention closely to the hard mind. It is like a waterfall. And when you follow that teaching of RAIN of recognizing, accepting, And then investigating to see, you start to see the emptiness of emotions. They come, they play, they disappear. They're like rain clouds in the sky. They weep themselves to the end and then the sun comes out and then a new storm appears. And what you were doing in the meditation, what we did together, was to hold all of these emotions, the longing and the love and the creative force in you, and the sweetness, and the care, and the frustration, and the boredom. To name them, this is boredom, this is what it feels like. Loneliness feels like this, this is where I feel it in the body, in the heart. To hold it all with tenderness and loving awareness. Not to be afraid of it. That book titled Love is Letting Go of Fear. And you realize that the effort needed to tend the heart isn't to change it or fix it. You don't need heart surgery. You need the attention of love. And I think about my teachers like my beloved colleague and friend Mahagosananda, the Gandhi of Cambodia, how he walked and moved through the Post-genocide, the Cambodian terror of the Khmer Rouge killing so many people. And he just became the field of love that people needed to regain their lives. And this is really what our heart needs as well. Not to be judged for all its feelings. It's going to feel everything because that's what hearts do but held in loving awareness to say, yes, this too. That's wise effort, wise energy. The same for the mind. And you could see it in our meditation. Again, a little account of Whitney, who was in the middle of a lot of troubles. Her mother was scheduled for surgery. Her father had the early middle stages of Alzheimer's. She wanted her parents to continue to live in their house, but their illnesses and disabilities wouldn't allow it. So she had to fly back to St. Louis and start to move them and do, she had two brothers and all that her brothers would do would be to call her and say, Whitney, you take care of it. You know how it falls on women a lot to do this. You gotta take care of it. They couldn't be involved. She spent a month with them trying to pack up the house of 56 years and put things in order. Everything was in shambles. They couldn't move. She got a nurse aide to come in and help care. They couldn't even care for themselves. And in the middle of it all, she felt so overwhelmed. She walked out of her childhood home up the hillside on top of this hill that gave her a vista and a view of part of the city and the landscape around it and she began to weep because she didn't want to lose her family's home she didn't want her parents to face the kind of losses that she did and as she sat there she could see the vast sky and the cumulus clouds that were rising around in the middle of america bringing shade she could see the trees that were dotting the area around And she could see how life renews itself and their struggle, and it fights against things, and it survives just like grass pushes up through the cracks in the sidewalk. It flourishes for a time, and then it changes. And she could feel she wasn't alone, that with her were, you know, 485,000 other children of parents in the U.S. alone who this year were helping them move and tending them because they were disabled or it. She wasn't alone. She could feel the the humanity in this, that we're all in this. As children, we're cared for by our parents. As adults, we do what we do. Then it's our turn to care. And she knew that she was part of the cycle of life of something huge and human. I'm not the only one caring for aging parents. We're in this great life cycle and her heart began to weep and release and say, yes, we know how to do this. We can be present for it all. And this is the vastness of the mind. A loving awareness of wise energy that can pay attention to the mind. And instead of being lost in small mind or thoughts, open to consciousness itself. Mystery. This is who you are. In the end, when a baby is born, we greet that baby with love. It's the first thing. Everybody loves that baby that came out. And at the end of life, you hold someone's hand as they exit. And that hand holding, that last whisper, that last gesture... Is a gesture of love. We come in that way. We go out that way. In fact, that's what we are. That's who we are. Is love itself. Here, another story for you. This is from Frank Ostaseski, who's taught sometimes at Inside LA, a dear friend who started Zen Hospice. He tells the story of a a resident who was in a great deal of pain who asked if he could learn meditation that would help. So they began to meditate, turning a loving awareness toward the physical sensations of his cancer that had caused so much difficulty. And as he breathed gently, he tried to open to the sensations, but it was too intense and he screamed, I can't do it. It's too much. It hurts. It hurts. So Frank Ostaseski told him, OK, let's try something else. And he put his own hand gently on the man's stomach where the pain was most intense and said, how's that? And the fellow said, "Oh, oh, that hurts too much. Let's try this, Frank went on. And he put his hands near the man's feet. And he said, oh, that's, that's a little better. And then Frank put his hands a foot or two away from the man's body, just hovering above his stomach and his heart. The man lay there for a little bit. And he said, oh, that's lovely. There was no special, you know, body work, no trying to get rid of it, nothing esoteric. Just opening more and allowing more space. And after some minutes, with Frank just hovering there, embodying a field of love, the man's face began to relax, and he said so softly, Oh, rest in love, rest in love. And after that, whenever he got in trouble with his pain, he would push his morphine pump and just repeat to himself, rest in love. Rest in love. Now, I'm not going to suggest you get your morphine pump quite yet, even though I know it's a tough time. But you can hear the understanding behind it of what it means, what wise effort means, the effort to love, to be awake with love, to be present in this mystery with love. And what's true is That just as we've talked about tending the breath and body, the heart, the mind, with a loving awareness, as an act of love. Then when you open your eyes, as we have from the meditation, and you engage... In the relationships of your life, even if you're sequestered alone, you're Zooming with people and often you're not or you're not just alone, you're in relation with others. Guess what relationships need more than anything? Loving attention. That's what children want, what animals want, (laughs) what our garden wants, you know loving attention, and even in the struggles in relationships or in the incredible difficulties that we can get in, while we may need to set boundaries, while we may need to take care or protect ourselves or protect things that we care about, the fundamental energy that brings liberation in all these circumstances is loving awareness, is love itself that that's what makes it work. So the very effort or energy to learn how to bring this loving awareness to your own breath and body, heart and mind, is the exact practice. When you see the beauty, the secret beauty behind the eyes of the others with whom you live or talk to or Skype or Zoom with, And you can gaze with the eyes of love. Everything changes. And then there's the world, the troubled world around us. And you get to see its magnificence, its unbearable beauty of a sunset or a wild storm, you know, or of the magnolia blossoms. all the unexpected magnificence, not only of nature, but of humanity. And with all the troubles that we talk about, in the hour that we've just spent together, there have been a billion acts of kindness that won't make the news. All that makes the news is somebody throws a Molotov cocktail or somebody, you know, harms another or says terrible things. Oh, great, we've got something to write about. But there were one billion plates of scrambled eggs put on children's table or rice gruel or oatmeal or something that was sweet and wonderful to eat and nourishing. There were a billion acts where people stopped at the red lights or someone could safely pass through the green where someone stepped out of the way or kept their six-foot distance, even though not everybody's doing it. There are a million billion acts of goodness because that's also who we are. And when you understand how to practice this wise effort of love, then you realize that This is what matters. In the end, you could say, if you want a mantra, you want a koan, you want a spiritual question, here, I'll give you one. What would love have me do today? There's your question. What would love have me do today? And it might be getting groceries for your older neighbor. It might be helping to get out the vote You know, it might be tending your own garden or your children or your parents or the people around you. It might be making music and making art and making beauty in that way in the world. It might be working as a first responder, putting yourself out to care for others in this world. There are a million ways, what would love have me do today? There's right effort for you to ask that question, to listen inside, and then your heart will tell you and you'll know.